welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have a Bible, we'll be in John, not 1 John, but John chapter number 3. Probably one of the most familiar chapters in Scripture with one of the most familiar verses being verse 16. We will not be there today. Maybe in a couple weeks we'll be there. Finished 1 John last week, and um, after a couple months, the overwhelming theme of 1 John is that we know that we're born again. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. Those of you who keep up and keep notes and pay attention to what's being preached on Sundays, which I think is the majority, I want to think is the majority, I realize some of you it's already past your nap time. I thought about this. Some of you are already got a good 30 minutes in by now. <laughs> so you're just going to have to postpone that. But as I prepared for something this week, it's a little easier. Most pastors will understand when you're kind of preaching through a book. And um, the topic often in 1 John was salvation, knowing that you know that you know. God does want you to know. He does not want you to be confused. He does not want you to be floundering, wondering if you are or are not a believer. He wants you to be secure in that knowledge that you are. And quite honestly, as I landed in John chapter three, I thought someone's gonna think, what is he doing? Here we are talking about Jesus again, which is all right in church, I think. Here he is talking about salvation again, which is still acceptable and should be. And I really got full assurance on the message probably late Thursday, which is kind of unusual for me. I'm usually pretty much, I can get about 40 minutes of preaching by Thursday evening. My wife says, you can do that without even studying. You can just talk for 40 solid minutes. <laughs> she has said that. Can you believe she said that to me? If we just give you a topic, you could talk for an hour. She didn't say it would be competent talk <laughs> or cohesive, just that I could talk. But as I started thinking, which is a problem for me, and analyzing a and only pastors understand, I think, when you feel, and I hate to say feel, but when you get to the place where you know it's the message to preach, and, and maybe John chapter three is the message for the month, I don't know. And the overwhelming thought that came to my mind is, can you preach salvation too much? I think I know the answer to that. But my analyzation goes to, God, why would you want me to keep talking about salvation? 
And I'm not, y'all know me, most of you know me, I'm not one to get up and start pulling heartstrings and try to, hey, play until somebody gets saved. You know, I'm, I don't do that. I don't beg people to get saved. I don't try to do magic tricks and mind, you know, ownership to try to get someone. But the reality is Sunday after Sunday in Baptist churches all over the country, they're lost people. who other people think they're saved. There are lost people who know they're lost, they know they've never been born again, not based on what the preacher says or what the Baptist church says, but what the book of 1 John says, for example. And they know it, but maybe nobody else knows it other than God. And then there are some who I believe think they are, but they're confused, they've bought a lie, They've convinced themselves the Bible is clear that a man can deceive himself. James talks about a person looking into a mirror, which is the word of God, and walking away as if they're fine. They have deceived themselves as self-deception. And there are people like that in church Sunday after Sunday. And in John chapter 3, I believe we see a, a person similar to that. It's probably mine and other people's, one of their favorites in the Bible, narratives of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. And I want us to read verses one through eight of John chapter three and good Lord willing and the creek don't rise and some other things come together. I may preach through this great chapter for the next few Sundays. My Bible here, the Bible I have today, which is one of my favorites, I, I, I like the Bible, it's a favorite book, but this is one of my favorite Bibles. It's nice and soft and red. The heading here says, Nicodemus questions Jesus. And, and I, this is not the title, but I just want you to think and I want you to realize, come to the realization today that you may have questions. We, we haven't all got it figured out. And if you think everyone has it, religion figured out, talk to them at work tomorrow and see if anybody can come to some consensus on anything. Not even Baptists get together and believe it all the same way, much less your work friends or your school friends. And I believe there are a lot of people who have questions about salvation that don't need to have them unanswered because the answers are in the word of God. And Nicodemus had some questions. Would you stand as we read verses one through eight of John chapter number three? This is the same John who wrote first, second, and third John. He also wrote the gospel of John, four gospels, all eyewitness testimonies of the life of Jesus from different perspectives, writing about different aspects of the life of Jesus. And this same John writes in chapter three here that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly I say unto you, 
Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, truly I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, Nicodemus. Don't be amazed that I've told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth or wants, and you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes from and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it Help us to receive it as absolute truth. May we not just be hearers of a familiar passage, but may we leave here doers of your word. And ultimately, if there's a person here today who doesn't have security in their salvation, they're not absolutely certain, may today be today that your Holy Spirit convicts their hearts and they, by faith, trust in Jesus as their Savior. We ask this in his name, amen. You may be seated. Probably one of the most controversial realities, I'll call it, in Christianity is the necessity of being born again. You must be born again. What makes that so controversial is the how you're born again. More specifically, the who of being born again. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Our Sunday school lesson this morning, many of the adults had the same lesson. Kind of was a recap of a couple months of me preaching 1 John. And in their class, there was some discussion about why people are so easily deceived or convinced that, you can, that all roads lead to heaven. And I'm not here to argue that one way or the other. I believe in the inspiration of Scripture that God's Word is absolutely true, that it does cut like a two-edged sword, but yet it also is a, a salve that heals. But that if, if it is true and I believe it's true by faith, then there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ, God's Son. And the only way that happens is you must be born again. Now the good news is everyone in here has fulfilled the first prerequisite of being born again. You've been born. Now there is some disagreement today as to how that happens. But I think the smart ones in the room have figured it out. But everybody in the room, everybody finally listening, welcome back Facebook and all those online. We had some problems earlier. You've been born. So you are a candidate for being born again. And what's interesting in this text is that Jesus, there's a lot interesting in this text, doesn't really waver 
he wavers at none at all on the fact of the necessity of being born again. You must. We can't complicate this church. The Christian church should not complicate this. We should not waver. We should not wonder. If we combine John 3 and we combine John 14, which are both words of Jesus, where you must be born again and that no one comes to God except through Jesus, only way, it's pretty simple. The problem is it's pretty narrow. We don't like narrow-minded people, do we? And the world certainly doesn't like narrow-minded Christians. And I, the challenge is that we're not narrow-minded, so narrow-minded that we eliminate the opportunity to talk about the narrow way. I didn't write that down, but that sounded pretty good. I probably need to write that. We, we don't need to exclude people in our narrow-mindedness of opinions to the point we can't have the conversation about the narrow way, that Jesus is the only way. In this text, I've got three points that I want us to look at that are pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty easy message to preach once it's in front of you. First of all, we see Nicodemus has a meeting with Jesus. I trust that every person in here has met Jesus at some point. Now, some of our meetings turned out different than others, but we'll get there. Nicodemus has this meeting with Jesus, and we learn some things about Nicodemus. Verse 1 says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And certainly some scholar in here is thinking, how can he get anything out of that verse? Well, I want us to notice something that I believe is simple, but yet important that we have to see about this meeting and this man, Nicodemus. First of all, we see that he was a Pharisee. We see his people. There was a man of the Pharisees. He was not just a Pharisee. He was a man of the Pharisees. He had the group that he hung around. Anybody have their people? These are my people. I think there's a country song that says something like that. But we'll stop right there, lest I sound non-spiritual. And we understand that Pharisees were very religious. They were religious separatists. They followed the law. They knew the law. And sometimes the Pharisees get a bad rap. Matter of fact, in this text, I've heard it preached and read and stories about John 3 for a long, long time. And I think we've kind of missed the point that the Pharisees were not just devout. They were sincere. They were sincere in their religion. Not only did they truly believe they were right, they, they were genuine. They were authentic. They, they were searching for truth. Some of the things about this, the Pharisees that we notice is they believed in the inspiration of the Old Testament. They believed in the coming Messiah. They believed in miracles. They believed in resurrection of the dead. Now, not exactly the way Christians do, but they believed in these truths that were preached and taught in the Word of God. 
in the Old Testament. They really believed that there was life after death and a resurrection. Unlike the Sadducees, who did not. Some of you are new around here. That's why they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. So we see something about the people of Nicodemus. Then we see his position. Not only was he uh, a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews. This is important to understand. In the, in the original language, there are, and this is going to scare some people and give some people PTSD from school, there are definite articles in front of a couple words here. Definite articles. That sounds vaguely familiar. Don't think I've used that lately. Really, the word the should be in front of ruler and Jews in the original language. Nicodemus was the ruler of the Jews. He was the man. He was the scholar. He was the one everybody listened to, everybody followed. He was a Pharisee, but he was a leader. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was most likely the authority for their locality. Understanding that the Pharisees made up the predominant portion of the Sanhedrin, which is like the, the, um, the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will, the Supreme Court of the law. He was the guy. He's chief justice, most likely. So we understand his people, we understand his position, but here's what I want us to really understand. He was still just a person. And if you don't get anything out of this message for the next few minutes... I want us to understand foundationally, he was still just Nicodemus. I used to call him Nick back in the day. I was reading behind one of my favorite authors, and, and I didn't realize until I've studied him so many times how much alike we are. And um, he called him Nicky. That sounds a little, eh, maybe it works better for today. But he was just Nick, he's just a person. And here's what I want us to understand before we really take off. There's a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats. Everybody in this room has different positions. Sometimes I think I might wear too many hats, quite honestly. We like to say iron's in the fire. Nicodemus was authority. He had a name tag. He had a following. He was maybe... Um, the CEO of the company. Maybe he was co-owner of the company. And everybody, oh, here he comes. Let's, yes, sir. Good morning. How are you, sir? Would you like some coffee? He was the go-to person. He had several titles. Maybe like you. Maybe like me. But at the end of the day, when Nicodemus goes home, he's a husband He's a dad, he's a brother, he's just a man. Say, so what, what, I'm not following, I hope you are. No matter who you are, no matter your political role, your authority, your power, you're still just a person who needs a savior. You're a soul who needs a savior. And one of the answers to the question that our Sunday school teacher said this morning is, is why, why do people feel like, uh, you know, all roads and up? And part of it is the mask that society wears that a personality or a position or power gets you a pass. 
and it doesn't. The rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, in torment. But the poor man, Lazarus, went to heaven. Every person, this is the most foundational thing I'll probably ever say, is just that, a person. And really, what I believe has to happen for a lot of people to get to the place of meeting Jesus is they've got to unmask. They've got to take off the positions. They've got to take off the power. And I'm going to throw this on at us while we're here. They've got to take off religion. This guy was religious. He was devout. He knew his religion frontwards and backwards and up and down. And he was genuine. He was authentic. People came to him for answers. You can see how the irony transpires here in just a second. He didn't have the answers. He's just a person. In this meeting with Jesus, he comes to him by night, and oh my goodness how much has been written about why he came to Jesus at night. Oh, he was so worried and he was so nervous. I, I think it's as simple as this. He was a man of authority. He had people hanging all over him all the time. Hey, Nick. Hey, Nick. What do you think about this? Hey, let's go to coffee, Nick. Hey, can I buy you lunch, Nick? He came to Jesus by night so he could meet him face to face and have a conversation with him, uninterrupted. It's a serious conversation. I'm, I'm trying not to be too preachy here, but many people need to have a serious conversation with Jesus, an uninterrupted, unimpeded Satan is not all-knowing, but he's a pretty sharp guy. And he is keeping us busy. I need, I need the rest of you to wake up. It's just 11.20. I'm, I'm two minutes ahead, so it's 11.20. Oh, I'm getting slow. It's 11.27. Sorry. <laughs> I'm amening on the inside and owe me in at the same time. But we're too busy. The devil wants us to be busy. He wants us to be interrupted. Even as a Christian, we are too busy. We're too, uh, our calendars are too full. We're juggling too many, whatever you like to juggle. And we don't have the one-on-one -on -one important conversations with Jesus, even after salvation. But those who are not yet born again the devil would love to keep you busy, preoccupied. And many times, I'm being a little too plain today, I think it's work, and then a little bit more work, and a little work on the side. Then when you get home, a little bit more work, a little bit of extracurricular activities. And I don't mean this the way it's going to, then it's family. And then it's calendar, and then it's parties, and then it's lunches, and then it's this. And you stay so preoccupied. I'm talking about the lost person now that you don't have time to have a conversation with Jesus. He came to Jesus uninterrupted. It's important for us to understand in his 
authenticity. I believe Nicodemus came to Jesus genuinely for answers. He was seeking. He was searching. He genuinely recognized, even by calling Jesus a rabbi, he understood, just like many others, that Jesus had no formal rabbinical training. But he acknowledged him as rabbi. You're a teacher. He was honoring Jesus. Furthermore, he said he was a teacher from God. That's, that means a lot. Now, Nicodemus believed this based on the miracles that he had seen Jesus perform. In verse 23 of the previous chapter, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Now, this would be a small mini-sermon that I could go there, but the end of chapter 2 is still the beginning of chapter 3, really, in the text. It's, under, it's important to understand that Jesus did miracles, and many people followed him and believed on him for the miracles, but the end of chapter, 20, uh, chapter two says, but Jesus knew their hearts, he knew what was on the inside, and many of them he didn't devote his time to because they were just believing for the magic show. They didn't trust him. And here Nicodemus says, you're a, you're a teacher from God because the miracles. And in this meeting, well I love this part here and it's always fascinated me, and I kind of just answered why this happens. Jesus responds not by saying, thank you for acknowledging me, Nicodemus, for being such a great teacher of God. He has no time for small talk. He doesn't say, hey, who are you? Nice to meet you, Nick. His response was his message. And if you've ever had a conversation with Jesus, if you ever have a meeting with Jesus, you're gonna hear the message of Jesus. Now, the burden's on the pastor now. Not this, just me, but every pastor in every, every church. And it, this might not help you, it might not mean anything to you, but it helps me right now. And it helps anybody who's gonna be a pastor, any pastors watching to get good pointers on how to preach good. No, anybody. Every time I preach, what I'm trying to do is set up a meeting with Jesus. Hey, show up Sunday at 10.30. We got good singing. People are nice. Whatever. No, we're not tricking people to show up. We want people to show up. I want you to show up. I want the Christian to show up. I want the church member to show up. But I want the friends of the church members to show up. I want the lost to show up because what we're doing is setting up a meeting with Jesus. And how foolish would it be to set up a meeting with Jesus and not preach the message of Jesus. Oh, there's a lot of people meeting in Jesus' name, but they never preach and teach the message of Jesus. Now, I'm not going back down that road, but that's what we're here to do. And he calls a meeting with Jesus, and Jesus responds with his message. What's interesting is how he responds is based on the end of chapter two where John says, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in him. This is why Jesus responded the way he does in verse three. Jesus answered him. I, now that's King James word answer. He didn't really answer, but he did, but there was never a question asked. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Rabbi, you're a teacher from God. 
because you do these great miracles. We know you're of God. And Jesus answered. Now, now I'm not sure if that's the original text necessarily, but it helps for what I'm about to say. Really what happened is Nicodemus had this meeting with Jesus where he asked a question that we never hear. We didn't read it. Y'all with me? Everybody good? Oh, you look so bored right now. I need a magic trick. So I didn't, I didn't read where Nicodemus asked a question. Oh, he did ask a question. Because Jesus answered and said, Verily I say to you, Nicodemus, truly, I'm telling you the truth, Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we read that and think, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Nobody's talked about the kingdom of God. Nobody's talked about being born again. It's just a casual meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus. No, he knew his heart. He knew what was on the inside of man. And here's the reality based on John chapter 2, verse 22, 23. God knows your heart. He knows what's on the inside of man. Not just the believer, the unbeliever. He knows you. He knows the questions you have. And he has the answer. The answer is, the answer is, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I didn't ask that question. Oh, yeah, you did. Nicodemus could have said, I didn't ask that question. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. And it's, it's real practical. I mean, you ever prayed? The answer there is yes. Everybody say yes. Wake them up if they're sleeping beside you, please. It looks like half the church is sleeping. Serious. So hard right now. I hope people woke up. I'm going to look back up and I'll see some eyes open that weren't when I... I Y'all think I'm kidding. I'm I'm dead serious right now. You ever been praying? Yes. And And you get the... It's like the Holy, it is the Holy Spirit, and it's God talking to you, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you, just get to it. Is that just me? Anybody else like, you, you're just like, well, God, you're so great and holy and sweet and baby Jesus and all that stuff, and all. he's like, hey, I know why you're here. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> I've, I've been there. It's like, okay, I'll get to the point. He knows me. He knows my heart. And he knows you if you're a lost person here today and he knows the answer you need to hear. You must be born again. He tells this religious leader who has pretty much already reserved his seat in heaven. Like he knows he's got a name tag, one of those fancy folding name tags on his table. The VIP section. He's already as much there as if he really was. And Jesus says to him, no man's gonna go, nobody's gonna see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And that means you, Nicodemus. And that means you, religious person. That means you, devoutly religious person who has never accepted Christ as your savior. It doesn't matter who you are, you're still a person. You're still a soul who needs a savior. Verse four, 
it looks like Nicodemus is a little intrigued. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in the mother's womb and be born? Oh, so much has been said about this. Why? How, is this guy really that clueless that he's asking that question? And, and there's a lot to be said about it, but I think it can be simplified by this. Those who are not born of the Spirit do not understand spiritual language. I said spiritual language, and people got like, whoa, 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 I better wake up for that one. <laughs> Fiery tongues. That's not what I'm talking about. And we see that Jesus kind of talks about that. When he asked, can I, can I get back at, how, does, how is this possible? And it's important for us to, maybe if we've never really understood what it means to be born again. The word there again is actually from the Greek word that means above. And, and just as it means to be born again, it means to be born from above. We've been born in the flesh, but now we've got to be born in the spirit. We've got to be born from above. And Nicodemus was so clueless about the spiritual life, about being born of the Spirit, that he had no ability to understand the spiritual things. It's a good time for a 30-second timeout right there and say that's why the world doesn't understand us. Right. One of the many reasons. This world is not our home. We're, when we say that, we're like, whoa, what is that? No, we, we're, we're dual citizens. What? That'll make no sense to me. Well, it shouldn't make any sense to you because you don't understand spiritual things. Don't say it that way, please. Don't. <laughs> Nicodemus says, I'm so confused right now. And it reminds me, and it should remind us that culture, society today, the, the lost person, they don't understand not just spiritual things, and we see why, and I probably won't have time to get there, but they don't understand Bible talk. And this is very practical, and I, I, I kind of hammer on this oftentimes, and it's very practical, but I think it's necessity for us to understand. When I say us, I'm talking about us old folks who have been in church a long time. Anybody feel really old when I said that? That's you. And even those a little younger than me are still old now. We could... 20 years ago, we could say that person is biblically illiterate, and it meant one thing. Today, if we say that person is biblically illiterate, it means a whole different thing. Now, they're still biblically illiterate, but the biblical illiteracy 20 years ago was a biblical whiz compared to today. Now, I'm not, I'm not kicking this generation. I'm, I'm just saying that's how far removed the church and evangelistically we are, and it's our fault. Towards a whole generation that comes up doesn't know. Man, we say born again. They might say what Nicodemus said. They may not say it because it sounds silly, but they're thinking it. And we say some of the things that we say in the Baptist church that I've been around for 100 years, and they're like, What? I find out almost weekly now that some of these teenagers are using, a, using words and phrases that, it's like, what? I can't, I can't, I don't need to know that. 
I don't need to know that word. And if you don't have a grandchild or a child that's teenage, you need one or to hang out with one to figure out what I'm talking about. I think it's because they're just lazy. If it's a multi-symbolic word, meaning it has more than one syllable, they just want it to have one syllable. And it doesn't really make sense. Anybody know what I'm talking Any old people know what I'm talking about right now? It's like, I, no. At least when we spoke slang back in the day, you kind of got the point. Mm -mm, not, not today. You have to like ask and then have a conversation. Exactly how did that word come into being? And how should I use it in a sentence? And is it legal? <laughs> Similarly, that's the culture we're surrounded with today that is so biblically literate. Jesus explains. Verse five, except a man be born in other words, he's saying, no, Nicodemus, you don't have to get back in your mother's womb. That's not what I'm talking about. Calm down. We're not going there. He said, unless you're born of water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Then he says, this is why you don't understand. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He makes a clear contrast between a person that's only been born of the flesh and a person who's been born of both the flesh and the spirit. And he says here, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, I'm going to be very honest. I, there are multiple interpretations for this. One which is adamantly false, which believes that's baptism, that's garbage, that's not true. I think it can mean a couple things, and I think both of them are accurate. I think it means you, you must be born once to be born twice. So the water could refer to being born naturally. That makes sense because Jesus has just been asked by a grown, mature academic, do I get back in my mother's womb? <laughs> so he could naturally be saying, no, let's not try that. Um, you gotta be born from her, still her, and born again. Obviously, that is true. Obviously, it's an interpretation that is acceptable. But it's really important for us to understand the, the wording here, water and of the Spirit. Water is oftentimes in the, in the Scriptures uh, used to describe the Word of God and, and how the water of the Word of God cleanses and sanctifies us. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's a good husband-wife verse, but it's also a good uh, holy um, Scripture sanctification verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So that the church is ready, a glorious church, not having spot or blemish. Later in John 15 and John 17, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, Jesus said. So obviously we think of cleansing, we think of the water being the word of God, we think of cleansing. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, when he's praying for us, he says, sanctify them, sanctify them, separate them, cleanse them by thy word, thy word is truth. And the word of God sanctifies, the word of God cleanses, the word of God gives us life. 
James says, of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth. He begat us. He born us again, if you will, through the word of truth. Peter said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Being born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we understand when Jesus said, you must be born of water and of the spirit. He's obviously saying, you gotta be a person, but he's saying the word of God is used to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to to bring us to the place of knowledge that we need a savior. We gotta preach that you need a savior. We gotta preach why you need a savior. Because you're born into sin and you need a savior. How, was it, how will anybody ever know they need salvation? Until they know they're a sinner. The word of God separates us, sanctifies, cleanses us. But then the spirit, you gotta be born of the water and of the spirit. The spirit gives life. Same word here for breath, spirit. The breath of God that gives life. Same word in the Hebrew in Genesis chapter two when God created man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Obviously, Nicodemus was a man of the law. He understood the Old Testament. He must have known Job 33, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. Surely he knew Ezekiel chapter 37 when Ezekiel's preaching to a valley of dry bones and the breath of God came upon them after the word of God and, the, and life came upon them. So now he's starting to make the connection. You gotta be born of water. You gotta be born of the spirit in order to be born again. God's method for bringing new life, this is great for Bible preachers, Bible teachers, for all of us in evangelism and all of us who wanna help disciple others. God's method for bringing new life is the word of God being proclaimed by the man of God is used by the spirit of God to bring new life. This is how this happens. How should they hear without a preacher? You ever heard that verse? Now, now we go down the rabbit trail, right? Well, I got saved because I heard a good old Southern gospel quartet song. I like Southern Gospel Quartet music. I like Charles Billingsley, who used to sing in the Southern Gospel Quartet, but I liked him more then. But anyway, don't tell him that when he comes tonight. He don't care. Um, And then the question, hey, can you get saved in a music service? Some of you are intrigued, I can tell. You're like, what's he gonna say? If the music involves the word of God, Oh, 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 I just crossed the line, didn't I? By the way, church music ought to include the word of God. There we go, now we're awake, okay. Yeah. Well, this woman got up and she was singing, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) And I just said, I'm gonna give him my wheel. Figure that one out, I don't know about that one, I don't know. That's somewhere in John, I'm sure, but. How about the Ethiopian eunuch? Spirit of God, Stephen, go that way. Okay. Random guy on the side of the road, 
reading Isaiah about Jesus as a lamb. That was a coincidence. Now the Spirit of God led the man of God. Guys reading the Word of God. And the Spirit of God brings new life. Then they were baptized, by the way, for those of you who think the water has to do with baptism. Obviously, based on verse 7, Nicodemus had this kind of dumbfounded look on his face. And Jesus said, marvel not, Nicodemus. <laughs> Can you imagine what Nicodemus looked like? He just got this mouthful of a message. This is a smart guy. Like he's got a PhD in Jewish history. I don't know. The law. And now he's like, what just happened? All I said was, good to meet you, Jesus. <laughs> you imagine how this transpired? And now Nicodemus is looking at him like, what? And he says, marvel not, don't be amazed. See, the meeting with the Savior and the message of the Savior, and then really importantly, and I don't have a ton of time to unfold it, but like Nicodemus, people can be quite taken back and even confused when confronted with the message of the gospel. And Jesus, in the last verse, in verse 8, describes the manifestation of the Spirit. He is dumbfounded. He's confused. He's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus gives him an illustration in verse 8 to help him understand, important Christian, help him understand by describing what the life of a person who has been born again looks like. Born from above looks like. I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't say this. The, the life of a person who's been born from above looks different than the life of a person who's just been born from below. He compares it to the wind. And he says the wind goes where it wants to go. And you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. But you can see it. Now, Y'all can believe this or not, whatever you want to do. And I'm, I'm almost, um, I'm humbled yet embarrassed to say, at many times in my life, I have said, I hate the wind. Now, I am a different person, okay? I've got issues, in case anybody didn't know. I think I like to control things. Maybe that's my issue with the wind, but if you want to fly a kite or you want to sail a sailboat, call me. Because if I get out my leaf blower, the wind's going to blow harder than it's ever blown for the full year. Or go fly a kite on the day we plan fall festival. It's always the windiest day of the year. And yesterday, I'm doing yard work. And I know what I'm preaching yesterday. And I'm blowing leaves, a lot of leaves and all kind of stuff. And I've got this going in, and it's almost like conviction. I'm not sure it was, I think it's just my mind's crazy. Like, you shouldn't be, you should not like the wind. And I'm thinking, should I use this example in my sermon tomorrow? And it was almost like, yeah, I don't think God like, has time to be funny with me. He's got other things doing. But the wind went nuts when I was talking about it. I'm not making it, I'm blowing, I'm blowing. Like, you serious? Really? 
starts blowing in my face. So I got smart. And I said, you know what? I'll blow in a different direction. And so I went this way. Anybody got to guess what happened? Well, whatever. We'll just roll with it. Jesus said the wind, and not knowing where it comes from, and not knowing where it's going, is like that person who has been born of the Spirit. It's really unpredictable. He, the Holy Spirit, is unpredictable. And if I had time, and we were preaching maybe to a different audience, the life of a person filled with the Holy Spirit is somewhat unpredictable at times. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm convicted by that because I want everything to be predictable. Everything. All the time. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. There's so many applications, so many thoughts in the church world that we need to understand. The, the point is, he says, the wind blows where it wants to or it pleases you can't tell where it's coming from. You really can't tell where it's going, but you can see it, the effects, the evidence that it's going on. And you can really tell if you want to be drilled down. You can tell what direction. It's not really here. It's not my notes. But you want to know if somebody's born of the Spirit, you can see which direction they're going. Oh, that, that's really good there. Where, where do you, how do you believe about this? Uh, the Holy Spirit leads me in this direction. The Word of God leads me in this direction. How do you know he's born again? Well, when we were talking about this the other day, he just kept going in this direction. And it happened to be the direction of the Word of God. How do you know she's lost? Well, when we started talking about this the other day, she started, oh, why well, you got to pick on the women? Oh, I should have flipped that around. Um, she started moving in this direction. And it was really opposite of how what the scripture teaches. Wind here is pneuma, it's breath, it's spirit. It's like the word in Acts chapter two, Pentecost, mighty Russian wind. The reality is the wind blows where it pleases. You can't know where it's coming from. You can't know where it's going, but you can hear the sound of it, he says. It's unpredictable. But when it's happening, you see it. Even the believer has difficulty understanding the Spirit of God. Certainly the unbeliever does. The reality is we can't expect an unbeliever to understand or even believe it. Even the most religious person like Nicodemus was amazed by the Spirit of God and the message of salvation. I was reading that, and I've, I've, I've read behind no other scholar, no other person who has said this, but I read that, and 1 Corinthians 1 came to my mind, and I think it's important for us to understand as Christians that we can't really expect people to understand it. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. If a Christian has a difficult time understanding the life of a spirit-filled believer... Certainly, we shouldn't expect a lost person to understand it. In 1 Corinthians 1 came to my mind where Paul says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. And similarly, 
the world just doesn't understand. And we have to be all right with that and be unimpeded or undirected or unpersuaded by that. We, we can't let that bother us. I can't believe they feel that way. Well, we do. I do. Hey, man, if they, I can't, they, they just shouldn't be so narrow-minded. Well, I am. We are. We have to be okay with being different. Nobody likes to be different. You understand kids say, I want to be different, but they all look the same. Right. Say the same thing, dumb words don't make sense. <laughs> See, so here, I'm, don't tell them this, but there's a secret. They, their language changes like every seven years. And it's dumb. Okay, we don't understand what they're saying. That's fine. Probably don't want to know anyway. It's time. It's, it's, it's only 11.57, though. It should ring at 12. But. <laughs> so they can have their language that changes. Don't tell them this. But some of us, a certain age and older, we have cursive. <laughs> you remember that? We got cursive. It's like hieroglyphics to them. They have no idea. If you write it real fancy, they have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Just write a letter. What kind of language are y'all writing in? That's Chinese. I don't worry about it. Like people, you'd be amazed on the school board. People are like, why are we teaching cursive no more? It's like, stop. We don't want them to know what we're saying. We don't want them to learn that. <laughs> I don't say that out loud, so please don't tell me. There are evidences of a person born of the Spirit. We have been given gifts of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. God gave it to you, use it. How do I know he's a born-again Christian? Well, a spiritual gift is teaching, and he teaches. It's time to, I'm finishing, so y'all look like you appreciate this, and it'll finish. Her spiritual gift is helps. She helps everybody. That's how I know she's born again. She's using her spiritual gift. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you don't believe me. Not to put it on the shelf and shine it and show everybody what gift you got, but to put it into practice to show everybody you're born again. Making up the family of God. You know, my spiritual gift's not as good as his. I'm just a little toad. Well, everybody needs a little toad. I'm going to make that up. 1 Corinthians 12, we've got diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 through 14. But all these work together as one in the self-same spirit, divided to every man, several as he will, to complete the body, the members of that one body. She says she's Christian. He said he's Christian. Well, he's got a spiritual gift. What's he doing? Oh, I know I'm going to end on a sour note. Okay, but it's all right. We're going to sing tonight. It'll be fun. I'm going to give away the, the pastor preacher secret. And please don't be upset with me about this. I don't have a black book with your name in it. I promise I got better things to do. But if there's a sign to know that somebody's born again in your church, 
And the Bible is true that they have a spiritual gift, and they're sitting on it. They're either selfish or lost. And selfish is really not an option. Spiritual gifts. Everybody that's born of the Spirit has a spiritual gift. Use it. I don't know what mine is. Well, ask. We've got a test that'll tell you exactly what it is. There is actually, we give one out. It may not be right, but it helps you understand what it is. We also have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Now, this one hurts. If you're a born-again Christian, you got the fruit of the Spirit. You're, you've been born of above. You've been born again. You've been born of the Spirit. Then you have the fruit of the Spirit. And so I don't want to be convicted. I won't read them all. I'm kidding. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5.22. Can't see it. Don't know where it's going, don't know where it's coming from, but I see the evidence of it. Has she been born again? Look at her. Look at her, running here and there, changing direction. She's serving here, she's serving there, she's doing this, she's doing that. She's using that spiritual gift of teaching, teaching the preschoolers, teaching the whatever. Wednesday night, teaching Awana, teaching lessons in Sunday school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, devils don't usually do that. You ever had a meeting with Jesus? Here's a reality. This is going to sound kind of evangelistic. We've met him today. We heard his message today. You must be born again. You got to be born from above. You got to be born of the Spirit. If not, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. That's terrible news, but it's true and it's reality. you got to be born again. Born of water. Changed by the word of God. Born of the spirit. Given new life. That's being born again. New life. And if you have been born again, how is your spirit-filled life being manifest? Can people see? Stop. I heard somebody say it. I heard it in their mind. I don't care what people think about me. Well, you better. You should. I want people to think of me. He's born of above. Born of the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. And he does something because he is spirit-filled. And that's, you know, if I'm going this direction and change this direction, you just know it's because I'm spirit-filled. No. Manifest in your life. No doubt, in this Baptist church and others, there are pe people waving the flag that I'm a Christian, but they've never had new life. Churches are full. I don't think ours is full but there's probably somebody here. There's probably somebody watching. Certainly there are people in churches all over flying the banner of Christianity and never been born again. Do you know you've been born again? Father, thank you for your word. So clear, so complete. 
And I pray today if there's a person that's never been born from above, they've never been changed by the message of the gospel, they've never received new life breathed into them by the Holy Spirit, God, today you've shown them that. God, no doubt there's some Christians that know they're Christian, they know they're born again. But maybe some sin, maybe some stress, maybe some outside force has been defeating them. And they're not demonstrating what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. They're not living out their spiritual gift and serving you. God, today you've made it clear to them. They need to repent. They need to confess. They need to receive your righteousness, your forgiveness, and be about the business you've called them to. While Karen plays and before we sing, the invitation is simple. You didn't just hear a message from the pastor, you heard a message from Jesus. You must be born again. I probably made the sermon a lot longer than it could have been. He says, changed by the word of God, given new life by the Spirit. If you're here today and, and that's never happened you know it God knows your heart the Holy Spirit convicted you today and very clearly has shown you your need for salvation would you by faith call on him call on him believing that he is who this word says he is, that he did what this word said he did, paid the price for your sins, took your place, my place on the cross so that we could have his righteousness. If that's you in the humility and the honesty of your heart, I believe if you call on him, acknowledging you're a sinner, believing he paid the price for your sin, confess him as Lord of your life, I believe the word of God teaches he'll save you. You can have a new life. Be born again, born from above. If you do that today, would you tell somebody? Would you tell me, tell a pastor? We'll pray for you. We'll put something in your hands to help you be discipled, to grow in your walk with Christ. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. If that's you, call on him. Would you stand with us? You can pray while we're singing. You can come to an altar if you want to come to an altar. God's will is for you to know you're born again. As we sing. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.